Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. And our guest on the podcast today is Abigail Forsyth, who is the co-founder and managing director of Keep Cup. Ever since Keep Cup emerged on the scene in about 2008 with this beautifully designed cup that would be the solution to the burgeoning single-use coffee cup waste crisis, I was really impressed and wanted to know the story behind this woman and this family because she started the business with her brother Jamie. It turns out entrepreneurialism runs in the family. We had this conversation over Instagram Live and of course the conversation swung to the time of COVID and how we've seen a real hit to the reuse revolution during this time. But I was pleased to see that Abby is as fired up as ever to take her crusade against the single-use coffee cup to the end of its conclusion. She really does believe strongly that this product can be a wonderful solution. We learned that the cup is now available in 65 different markets. There's a base in Los Angeles and a base in London. And this business is all administered and driven by its headquarters in Melbourne. And the products are actually still being made in Australia. A real success story, a real testament to the power of people driving impact-driven businesses. I really enjoyed this conversation. There is a couple of little glitches as you go with Instagram Live, but persevere, you'll love this conversation. And if you do, rate the podcast, share it around, and tell your friends. Thanks for tuning into the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hi everyone, Tim Silverwood here from Ocean Impact Organization and very happy to be presenting another of our Going Live With series. And our guest today is Abigail Forsyth, who is the co-founder and managing director of Keep Cup. And so if you're not familiar with Keep Cup, an incredible Australian-born innovation and product, and they have really gone on in an 11-year journey to really take on the world in the reuse revolution. So I think we're going to have a fantastic deep dive conversation with Abigail today and really unpack how uh, Abby and her team have built such an incredible business over this 11 years. Uh, originally started in Melbourne, so I'm sure that Abby will be tuning in today from Melbourne, uh, but have gone on to, to conquer the world, really. We'll learn about just how many markets they've been able to enter. Um, can you believe it? There's uh, less than two weeks left in our PitchFest 2020 campaign. Uh, we can't quite believe it, but applications do close on the 5th of October. So you've only got a little bit of time left to get your uh, applications in. Remembering the first step is to submit a written application. Shouldn't take you too long. The answers should come naturally to you. And then you'll be approved within 24 hours and then you need to submit your pitch video, which is a three minute pitch video. So make sure you give yourself plenty of time to be working on the pitch video itself because we are looking at your written application, but the judges will be reviewing your pitch video closely. So have some fun, get creative with it. We've already seen some wonderful videos submitted, which we're really pleased about. You might have also caught uh, 
the news on our socials that Nick and I went uh, and had a little interview on our LinkedIn page talking about the kind of applications that we've been seeing come through so far. So go and check that out as well. It goes for about seven minutes and it will just give you a bit of a glimpse into just how exciting some of the ocean impact solutions that have, uh, have applied so far are. I think you'll be really impressed and really intrigued. The statistics around just how many, um, uh, sorry, just gonna go live with keep. Yeah, statistics around the different themes that people are working on. And of course, um, a little insight into just some of those big scalable uh, examples. Here we are, hello, Abigail, hello. great to have hello. you. <laughs> I'm really well, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice to see you're a little bit al fresco down there in Victoria, outside, yes. fresh air. Yes, well, it's, a, it's a hot house inside. Yeah, right. Gee, um, how's things been going? Obviously, for those people tuning in from around the world, um, Melbourne and Victoria have obviously had a bit of a tough trot um, with COVID restrictions. How are you, how are you coping? Coping. 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 <laughs> coping. That's just, the word. Yeah. It's pretty tough, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. We're just persevering through and we're all feeling for you and I'm sure people all around the world um, yeah, are coping in their, in their own unique ways. But yeah, definitely been feeling for you. Look, thanks for your time. Um, you know, you Thank really you. are such a shining example of an, <laughs> of an entrepreneur and a, a founder who has gone to do such great work to protect planet ocean. So we really appreciate you being here today. <laughs> Pleasure. Why don't we go right back to the beginning then? Because people are looking at Keep Cup, they're recognising this global brand and they're wondering, hmm, I wonder who the people behind that brand are and why they are so driven to, to make this impact. You want to tell us a little bit about you and your origin story and, 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 and love for the planet, sustainability and all that jazz? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a family and we, um, I guess it was a love of, um, I don't know the beauty of things really as much as the as of the of nature and the planet so just looking after things and um, yeah treating things well treating the planet well so that sort of philosophy um, and then I did a law degree I became a lawyer and while I was a lawyer my brother would call me up with a new business idea and go you know we should do this we should do that um, and then one day he said, I've seen these stores in London, Pret-a-Manger, and they do everything convenience packaging. And um, I thought, well, I'm a good cook and I like people. Can't be that hard. I'll, I'll step in and do that. And so we did that. We started these stores called Blue Bag in the city in Melbourne. We eventually got to six stores. Um, but all the while I was just, it, we started them right at the start of the, the coffee trend that sort of, you know, swept, has swept the world in the last 20 years. But you know, when people were just starting to come in and have a takeaway coffee. So until the late 90s, people didn't really do that. And, um, yeah, over time just became more and more concerned about the volume of packaging waste we went through as a business. And went, so I went down to the Meyer <laughs> and thought I'll just buy a reusable cup that we can sell in our stores and couldn't find one fitted under the group heads, couldn't find one you could make the coffee in to get the size right and thought, gosh, this is such an opportunity to um, do something here. So that's where we began. Amazing. So does this entrepreneurial spirit run through the whole family? You mentioned Jamie there, your brother, and 
I saw on some of your 10-year celebration videos, your dad. I'm just really keen to learn about uh, <laughs> yeah, your family and, and this entrepreneurial attitude. Yeah, I think it de definitely is bred in the bone. So, um, yeah, my dad had his own business and his business was where um, when computers were like the sizes of rooms and he was selling the ribbons and worked out that he could make ribbons from the stuff they were throwing in the bin for half the price. So he used to um, make the ribbons for the computers and sell them. So there's a bit of sort of, yeah, I guess that's sort of a sustainability thing threaded right back as well. My grandfather had his own business and I've got two brothers. So um, Jamie and I did um, keep cup together. We did blue bag together then we did keep cup together for um, six years. And then I bought the business off him. He's now started Returner. So looking at more of a, you know, a shared um, system for um, reuse with other products. And my other younger brother, um, he's minor figures oat milk. So um, yeah. Fantastic. And so you mentioned there that, that sustainability and like um, your attitudes of your father and grandfather, do they talk about it now? Was it a, a sort of condition of, of you guys establishing businesses that you, that you ticked a bit of a sustainability box? No, no, I think no. it's just the, uh, I mean, I think it, it, there's a bit of the, it's efficient, it's sufficient <laughs> to be Sensible, sustainable. simple, you know, efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, I can't, like, it's interesting. We've had people come into the business and I didn't realize that that way of thinking was um, different. Like, it's just the way, I think it's just the way the business has been created. But yeah, I mean, I remember someone saying, oh, we should have a bigger box so it takes up more shelf space. And it's like, oh, no, because, you know, you've got a, your footprint and, you know, all the things that you wouldn't do that. So, yeah. Good on you. Okay, so that's... Um... Go back to then, what are we talking? So 2007, 2008. So cafes have gone off, but you've realized there's an opportunity there for a product solution to tackle the burgeoning coffee cup waste problem. How did you go about it? You mentioned there that little trip to, to Meyer and, and looking for a solution, <laughs> but then you realized it didn't exist. So you thought, let's create it ourselves. Run us through your thinking and the process there. So I was, yeah, quick, let's do it ourselves. And then my brother, who's probably a bit more sensible, goes, why don't we trial it? So we, um, in winter of 2007, we got in some decor soup mug, like these plastic um, red mugs that cost us $5 each. And we sold them, I think, pretty much for $5. And we said, if you return and get your soup, we'll give you 50 cents off the soup. But the disposable packaging for the soup cost us 65 cents. So we were saving were money. still winning. By we were winning um, and 15% of our customers returned and reused. So from there, we realized that there was, you know, there was, an, there was an appetite for this. There was a market for people because part of the reason we weren't going to do it initially is because it, it seemed so obvious. Like we were like, what are we missing? Like why, why are people using disposable cups? They're not recyclable. You know, why hasn't someone else done this? So there was a bit of... Um, yeah, I think that was our main concern all the way through, that someone, there was something we were missing as to why people wouldn't be reusing. And were you? I mean, you just asked yourself those questions, but then when you actually started trialling it, did you realise that those barriers didn't exist? Yeah, those barriers didn't. I mean, it's quite funny. Like now in the time of COVID, the same barriers are coming up again that we did had to deal with 10 years ago. Like people saying, oh, it's easier to 
you know, the washing takes too much energy. So you're better to use single use. Um, they're not hygienic. Like all those arguments were the arguments we had to overcome 10 years ago. No, so okay. So those barriers you mentioned and they're coming up again and we'll definitely be talking about the COVID barriers to reuse um, throughout this podcast. So next step. So you've what gone out there and how did you create the... The, the, the pilot product, what was your process in actually designing it and then obviously getting your first batch and getting them out there? <laughs> so we did the pilot. So all the, and all the time we're thinking, you know, it was a new, we're deep in this, in these cafes, you know, they're taking up, it takes a lot of energy and time to run any business, but I think a food business often more so than anything. So we're like, is this, you know, what are we doing? And then I'd, I'd had a daughter and she was a little baby and I'd have a coffee in a disposable cup. I'd give her her milk in a sippy cup. And I thought, would it be okay for me to give her her milk in a disposable cup or feed her with disposable plates and cups? And I thought, well, that's not the world I want her to grow up in. So I don't want to set up that message. So why is that okay for me? And I'd been reading um, Jared Diamond's collapse about how societies collapse and realize that there's a lot of cultural things that we hang on to as as things that we have the right to like convenience that may actually be such you know precipitators of our demise and it was that sort of idea of behavior change and um yeah getting people on a, a journey to to reduce waste that's what excited me so i think that was the turning point for me personally to start the business and go on that journey um, so we knew that if we, we did it, we'd have to get um, people who knew what they were doing. So we engaged industrial mm. designers. to. D we had either drawing of what I thought it should look like. Anyway, gave that to the industrial designers. They designed something. We thought it looked amazing. And we took it to um, local manufacturers around Victoria because we wanted it to be made a local solution. Like part of the sustainability was that it should be made locally. Um, and I took it to one guy and he's like, are you crazy? This is a plastic cup. Like this, how is this a solution? Like there's millions of plastic cups. I've got heaps of better ideas over here in the tools. Um, why don't you, if you can't, if you can't sell this idea, like you should forget about it. So go and, you know, and go and do something else. And at the time I was sort of a bit cut thinking, how dare you not see the genius of this, but it turned out to be brilliant advice. So um, through Blue Bag, we had a lot of catering customers. So I called, I don't know, hundreds of companies pitching this idea. And first we went to the sustainability manager and then we quickly realised they never had any money. So they would never be able to buy it. And so then we got to marketing and we started um, pitching to companies that had maybe like our first sale was to NAB who were moving to the Docklands into a six-star green building. And we said to them, well, you've got solar panels on the roof and you're reticulating all your grey water, but if you're giving people disposable cups, you, there's a real disconnect with the message you're trying to send to your team. So, yeah, they bought 5000 off the prototype and, yeah, off we went. I, I, I took them down. I went to take the prototype down. Like, you couldn't take the lid off. It was hand-painted. Um, put it in a box or something so I put it in a shoe box rode my bike down there and um did the pitch and they said we'll buy five thousand I nearly died like I just didn't know the potential at all at that point and I got down and I called dad and and he goes you've got a tiger by the tail <laughs> love it that's such a great lesson there so here you are thinking you're just going to go off and what get your first batch made and then go and try and sell yeah. and the advice is no 
get your prototype, make the sale, and then go into production. So you've yeah. got a hand painted prototype yeah. and you managed to yeah. sell 5,000. In a shoebox. In a shoebox. And I so think that that's, that's the other lesson I learned probably years later that, you know, of course they weren't just buying the product, they were buying, they were investing in me. Like they, they believed that I would be able to come through with the goods because I was passionate about the problem and the solution. So, you know, when you're pitching a product, it's never just the product. It's, it's all the people behind it and the brand and, and all the things you want to do with it that people buy into. So at that time, we're talking 12 plus years ago and with that prototype, uh, is the pitch, you said it's a six-star green building, but was the pitch, look, there's a big crisis coming in coffee cups or were they more attracted by the design, the ability to co-brand? Like, were they, was that resonating in those early <laughs> days? This is a solution to a burgeoning problem? Yeah, yes, it was in those early days. Like people understood the problem and the first time we sold them, people would come and say, I've, I've been thinking about this. I've been worried about this. Because I guess people now, 12 years later, there's a lot of people who um, are drinking coffee now who've never known any other way. Whereas 12 years ago, there were people who'd seen sort of the rise and rise of the, dis like the rise of disposable packaging. It happened so fast and suddenly it's normal. Whereas back then you had people who knew another world and were like mm, this is not right i can imagine and it's a feature on your website the whole issue of copycats and i'm sure there's been other product solutions that have come out in the last 10 years that have really suffered from copycats uh sorry if you missed that just talking about the copycat problem and people coming up with solutions that um could very quickly be be copied and really try and take your market um, yep. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about, did you know straight away that there was distinctive design elements and a, a real importance on making it um, distinct and, and hard to copy? Oh, yeah, that's when the lawyer, that's the where the lawyer came in. <laughs> nice one. So we knew, we knew, we wanted, I mean, I guess we wanted it to be distinctive. Um, Jamie, I used to always sort of have this argument is it going to be sexy or is it going to be sustainable and ultimately it had to be both like it had to be something that people go oh what is that I really like the look of that and I really like to use it and then sustainability sort of underpins that that desire to use it in the first place like you you, you know it makes you continue so I think that design element was always always part of it it's part, part of what I really enjoy about the business the, the design side of it and the color and and, and telling the story and I think you know we always knew that the brand was the most and, and so being a lawyer I also know that you know those legal protections you have are pretty difficult to enforce so our strongest um, our strongest thing would be our brand and be the fact that we we're out there so when we first got inquiries internationally for the business, we just followed them. And it probably cost us more money to ship the cup to someone who wanted one in America, but we did it to sort of build the movement and build the, you know, if people were passionate about it and they found us, we wanted to help them and we knew they'd spread our message. I was thinking about this earlier and there must only be a handful of companies of brands out there who can claim that title of being the generalized term for the, the item. Name. Is yeah. that what it's called? The category? I was thinking about the esky for the, the chili bin, the, you know, the, um, yeah. the portable cool, cool box, but the yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So when did you know that that was a, a title that you were potentially heading towards? We didn't really. And I reckon I've got to credit Craig Rucastle for that, for um, War on Waste, because, I, yeah, he talked about the Keep Cup all through that program. And from then it just sort of stuck as the, as the category name. The category name. Gosh, if you could put a, a value on that, that's a pretty amazing achievement. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I think it helps to have a name that is, is literally what you do. Like, keep was it always going to be? Was it always going to be Keep Cup? Like when you coined the idea, did you know it was Keep Cup, or did that something evolve? No, no. So we um, work with. Um, so it was Andy Sargent at South South West who did the logo and the design, and they were coming up with all these different names, and they had some crazy names like one of them that stands to brings to mind is Gino cup because it was about the Italian heritage of coffee, but um, they had all these names and then um, they, we'd had sort of three in our shortlist and we weren't too sure about them. And then um, Andy came in, he goes, I've got it. And we go, what's the name? He goes, keep cup and go, yep, that's it. Like it just click. It was just, yeah, such a great Across name. Across the board. Yeah. What a mm. cracker. What sort of support, I mean, um, Ocean Impact Organisation, which I represent now, obviously is all about creating an ecosystem of support for innovators and entrepreneurs and disruptors like you were back in 2007, 2008. Um, what sort of support was around for you then? Did you go looking for it? Do you look in hindsight and wish there was more of it? Tell us a little bit about those struggles, successes, challenges, all that fun stuff. Um... So we got a couple of grants. We got a, a small business grant from the city of Melbourne and we got a, um, a grant from Creative Victoria at the time for um, the website. So we got a couple of grants out of the gate. Um, and then I think, I don't know, like I was so, it's probably only in the last couple of years that we've looked around to the other people in our space who are doing similar things. Like we were so heads down, bum up, um, really just, um, building the product and and for us I think it was identifying early on like the first market we did in Sydney like a you know a farmer's market thing and a girl came up and said look I'd really love to um, carry one of these but I drink Campos coffee and they're way too cool and I was so furious and then um and then um the next week, Will Young from Campos Coffee called up and said, I'd like to buy 10,000 of these. I've been looking for these for a product like this for years. So not only overnight did Campos Coffee sort of put us on the map in what was cool in coffee, it gave us that really clear um, knowledge that it was the roasters, the baristas, the cafes that were going to make or break us. Like if you walked into a cafe and handed over Keep Cup and the barista went, oh, what's that? I'm not feeling it. We were going to be in trouble. So we really worked on those relationships um, as the sort of gateways to getting permission to reuse. And, you know, I remember going into a cafe and handing over and the person goes, oh, cool, Keep Cup. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, little do you know who I am. <laughs> That's great. Hey, I was looking at your timeline of your journey and um, gosh, you went to market in the UK and then the US relatively quickly after your launch. Tell us a little bit about those leaps into huge markets overseas. Yeah, so they were, I like to say we're like Kramer from Seinfeld. We were almost undone by our unbridled enthusiasm. But um, we, uh, so we, my, bro my younger brother, who now does minor figures, he was in the UK traveling with his then girlfriend, now um, life partner at the time 
and we said, oh, this is easy. Just, you know, start it up. It's, it's, it's happened so quickly in Australia, not knowing that the market was completely different. Um, the way they consume coffee, the ratio of independent cafes to chains. Um, but yeah, they started that up and, you know, I guess did it at really the ground zero of the London independent coffee scene. So we've been there a long time and um, yeah, it served us well. It was tough going for a while there. And then in the US, um, yeah, that's that's always been a challenge for us, the US market. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about markets then. So I think I looked in there's like 65 countries now. Is that still the same statistic? And do you want to go into any, um, you know, details there on how you're tracking the, you know, quantities that you've been able to sell or just some stats on impact for us? Because I think it's a pretty impressive uh, suite of, of uh, achievements. Yeah, so I guess we, we sort of like to think of it in terms of impact. I think we're in a, um, yeah, a, a ma main markets are the UK, US, Canada. Um, it's growing in China, which is really interesting. Um, Taiwan, we've been um, trading with them for years and years and years. Uh, yeah, so it's really us looking at markets where, um, where there is a strong takeaway coffee culture. There's no point having a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, and now we're just about to launch a B2B website where um, not only individuals can order online, but cafes will be able to order online in smaller quantities and we'll be able to provide them greater access to some of the tools we have and the case studies and um, some tips beyond the Keep Cup to become more sustainable and, and, and reduce impact in their, in their cafes. Nice one. And what about product design? I noticed that there's been quite a few evolutions in materials and design over recent years. you want to tell us a little bit about that little journey? Yeah, so um, look, we started with plastic because at the time we thought plastic was recyclable and we went to great lengths to ensure that each um, component was made of a single type of plastic to facilitate recycling. We thought they were lightweight, they were easy to use, there was a low price point. Um, I guess we always thought glass was probably the more premium way to drink coffee so that we always had our sights on, on glass. Um, and then more recently, I was in um, Canada and um, our Canadian distributor said to me, Abby, at, at minus four, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to get a hot coffee in a, the glass or the plastic. So we sort of started with the stainless steel. Um, so that's been really fun and, um, yeah, an interesting journey. I think a lot like... Um, yeah, and we've got some other products coming out next year that, that um, are also stainless steel. Nice one. Why don't we jump to the elephant in the room? <laughs> Everyone's been sitting in their chairs waiting for us to talk about COVID and the crazy, crazy disruption to everyone's reusable habits and behaviours. Um, give us a bit of a lay of the land. What have you picked up? What are you sensing for now and into the future? Yeah, it's, it's a tough, I guess, you know, in, it to be, oh, Keep Cup was made for a world that was big on convenience and big on speed. So people wanted their coffee so fast, they had to take it away in a cup. So I guess in a slowed down world, in a world where, you know, I think suburban cafes where people are working from home are starting to do really well and the city cafes are, um, you know, having a tough time because there's no one there. Um, it starts to change how we perhaps how we consume coffee and um, and I think it gives an opportunity for cafes to um, reboot um, and perhaps get rid of um, just single use altogether although there have been um, issues around using uh, reusables as a consequence but I think 
most of that's been put to rest now. And a, a lot of that was following like Starbucks announced they were banning acceptance of reusables and the world pretty much followed. Um, and what is we're that, seeing is that sort of been in hindsight, that's been pinpointed as the sort of start of it because it certainly cascaded down into most people's communities. I'm expecting who was tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. And also, um, you know, the plastics lobby has really taken advantage of this situation. So they've lobbied. So a lot of, um, there was going to be a lot of single-use ban um, bags banned and those legislative reforms have been either delayed or repealed um, because they're really pushing that there's a link between single-use and hygiene, which, mm. of course, there is not. So that was obviously something that you had to overcome in the early days because people misinformed or whatever would come yeah. out with a line around, oh, no, we can't do that, we can't do this because of that. Um, how did you overcome that then and have you had to adopt a similar approach in these COVID times? Yeah, I think um, then we did it sort of just knocking on, like I think we got, like back in the day, we got a letter from John Bromby telling us how amazing we were to be um, promoting reuse and reducing waste and landfill. Uh, and we also got a legal advice saying that there was no impediment to refill. So I guess we've done similar things by getting some experts to talk about how there is no um, danger, like the, the risk of transmission is very, very slim. Um, but I think the change now is we've got a, a whole group of people who are committed to reuse and, and on this journey to reduce their impact, both as individuals and um, our cafe customers. And, it's a, and, and then there's a whole lot of other groups like Conscious Cup, City to Sea, um, Plastic Free Foundation, who we can start to, you know, speak as a group and really advocate for some broader change beyond the disposable cup. How does that so make you sort of feel, I suppose, as a as the managing director of a brand that you have to sort of devote a chunk of your time and energy and your team to sort of a, a debate that maybe shouldn't even be your place to be playing, but you take it upon yourself. And it sounds to me like you've even got a need to double down on that in order to um, allow your business to flourish in this post COVID um, oh, world. Oh. The I was always up for the debate. I've always been, uh, you know, keen to advocate, you know, the end of problematic and unnecessary single-use packaging. I guess it's it's the doubling down. It's the sense it's like, haven't we done this? Like, I've been at this for 11 years. Are we there yet? It's it's that sort of, it's that that's the that's the one that sort of makes you want to face the wall. I know. And as you mentioned before, you know, you are feeling... You, know, you could potentially feel like, oh gosh, are we doing this again? And yeah. then in the other corner, you've got the representatives of the biggest companies in the world who are producing this stuff and their version of doubling down looks like tripling, quadrupling down because they yeah. see the opportunity around this little slither in the door and they just want to rip it ajar and flood yeah. the market with more and more plastic. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it's a, yeah, we've got to come together and really fight this. And I think, you know, this, don't you, like, I just feel like COVID has presented, a, you know, it's been, it's been, COVID's been horrific for so many people, but it also presents, it's like our last chance. It's like this last window to, to launch forward and pivot what we're doing um, to regeneration, to renewables, to, you know, new ways of living. And, you know, here in Australia, we're talking about a gas-led recovery. It's like, Oh my God, yeah. how can that be? How can it be? 
same thing as we were speaking about before. It's this the last uh, gasp of these giant companies that see an opportunity and are tripling down because this potentially is their last crack to uh, mm. make hay while the sun was shining on them. And it's unfortunately up to all of us to see that, call that bluff and somehow galvanise people in this day of a very broken information ecosystem and yes. get everyone on side to a future that we should all be believing and agreeing in. Yeah, that's right. Sorry to interrupt your beautiful podcast experience, but I just wanted to jump in and remind you that in order to help us grow the crowd of ocean impact supporters out there, we really do need to see this podcast reach more ear canals. So would you kindly consider subscribing? Would you kindly consider writing a review? And if you love an episode, please share it around. We're blown away by the support, but with more listeners, we can make an even greater impact. You were a um, founding Australian member of, of B Corp. So this idea of purpose being ingrained and entrenched in the business is something that was obviously there right from the beginning. 1% uh, for the Planet member. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of this attitude of, uh, of achieving these certifications and all those community and environmental initiatives that spin off your, your purpose line? Well, it's just, what are we here for? Like, what are we here for? It's, it's, it sort of comes to that. And those certifications of 1% for the planet and B Corp are just um, sort of some independent evidence that we are who we say we are, really. Like, we'd be doing it anyway, but this is a way for, you know, for people to, to trust us that, that we're doing what we say we're doing. And the same with, like, doing life cycle analysis and that sort of thing. It's, it's trying to put... I guess it's trying to lift the bar and then... And, yeah and have people trust you, what you're doing. And yeah, nice. why, it's sort of like, what are we here for? Like, aren't we all here to make the world a better place? Yeah. Exactly right. And look, I mean, um, that's the, the mission of Ocean Impact Organisation. Like we are trying to create an abundant and sustainable ocean through mm. inspiration, leadership, uh, innovation, but importantly, good business. Because isn't that what business should yes. be? Yeah. And how can and you stand up in a business that's doing bad and feel like you're doing good business? You can't. Yeah, yeah. And you, you don't get a seat at the table unless, you know, people aren't going to pay any attention to you. It's, it's yeah, unless you're doing okay. Mm. So you spoke before about, you know, the gas-led recovery and this sort of really precipice moment that we have to redefine and reshape the future that we want to see. Um, you know, what do you think about the the status of innovation and supporting, you know, startups and trying to bring up this new generation of leaders who want to do things differently. Do you have a, any thoughts or perspective on where Australia is at with that or where it needs to be? Uh, yeah, I, you know, we're a big supporter of the circular economy and we've been, a, um, you know, we're a sponsor of Planet Arc Circular Economy, but we've got some problems there because we've got to have an economy and there's got to be a circle like we have to start manufacturing some things in australia and and really so we can create this this loop and and push jobs to people i just there's so much work to be done uh yeah yeah and and certainly around just you know leadership as well right i mean you know here we are it is the opportunity for uh, a knight in shining armor if you will or uh, female, <laughs> I don't know what the terminology is for that, but someone to emerge and to take charge of this unique opportunity we have to remodel the future 
around yeah. a vision of a, we had Damon Gamo on the podcast last week and, you know, his idea of shining a light on solutions that they're available. We can do yeah. this now. Yeah. Like what are the barriers that you say we've got? They don't exist. Let's yeah, go. They don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we um, just wrap things up a little bit? You can obviously ask me any questions at all about what I'm doing, but um, we'd obviously love to, get a little glimpse at um you know what the future looks like for you abby and for keep cup any sort of you mentioned before some um some slight evolutions in in, in business models and things tell us a little bit about the future uh yeah um, i guess i'm you know i don't know i'm in a bit of a moment of what's next and how what is the best way for keep cup to use what um what influence we have to to push the agenda that we like to see so you know we're sort of mapping we're doing a bit of a stakeholder map and mapping out a, a critical path toward what we'd like to see in australia and beyond and then you know it's it's hard to know where to yeah where to put your energy and resources to have greatest impact you know for a decade ago carrying a keep cup was an act of revolution like you know you'd see someone walking along with the keep cup and they'd give you a bit of a nod whereas now it's you know that's the ticket to the game it's, it's just another product so how do we how do we step in front of that um and start to really drive some more meaningful change like it's it's got to happen faster faster and faster yeah do you interact in any communities or, or networks where this business leader slash activist, you know, thinking and framing comes into play. I could imagine uh, some great dinner parties or uh, <laughs> network, networking <laughs> events where you start really plotting what to do next. There's no dinner parties here. <laughs> no, that's true. You're just desperate to have one, aren't you? Socializing. Just, just, <laughs> just got to, just a te teenagers, talking to the teenagers. They, they set me straight on a few things. Yeah. yeah, nice one. Yeah, we can't wait to do more and more work with, with, with young people and, you know, those people who just get the future. There's no second guessing in their mind. They know what it needs to look like and we just need to shine a light and give them the tools and support to get there. Yeah, Any, we, need uh, to, we need to crumble a few old edifices for them first, though. It's not, yeah, we need to get a few things right. Yeah, true that. Works from both ends. <sighs> Well, um, we can start to wrap things up now, but yeah, any sort of closing words, any questions you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, any sort of calls to action? No, just, <laughs> you know, I don't know, just people, I think, um, I think probably the biggest lesson about Keep Cup has been that of all the things it's shown, it's shown that people want to make a difference. They want to change and Keep Cup's been such an easy access point to do that. But I think what we should all take from that is that people want to be part of a positive solution. They want to be part of regeneration. It's just giving people an access point to do that. Like, how do you do it? What do you do next? Because I think often we get a bit stuck there and also the 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 aggregated effect of many individual actions is really really powerful so yeah that's Love what it. i'd like to say <laughs> we really <laughs> appreciate your your time and all the great work you've done in in leading a wonderful solution oriented business uh, born in australia and taking over so many markets keep up made the in australia work. made, made in, in australia, australia too 
Wow, that is so <laughs> impressive. I actually had that as one of my questions, but I never made it down to my notes because I knew that was always toted as such a strong point. But um, I'm really impressed that you're still doing that. That's amazing. Yeah. Good yeah, on well, you guys. Also, I mean, I guess the point around that is the guy who runs that business is, I think he's 82 now. And like, there's not, there's just not enough trades in Australia. There's not enough tool makers. There's not enough people who can do what needs to be done. So, uh, yeah. A real consequence of globalization and here we are Absolutely. now trying to pick up the pieces and put it back together again and it's not going to be easy mm, for sure oh well we'll we'll keep uh doing our bit and bring along a great tribe with us yeah thanks tim good on you abby great conversation bye <laughs> see you later thanks everyone bye, bye. Take the ocean out of the day.